Welcome to Where the Lotus Grows, Getting Dirty and Growing Strong with Kimberly Searle and Tanya Drew. As integrative sustainable movement educators and health advocates, our goal is to provide you with evidence-based information gathered from research, experts in the field, and our personal and professional experience to help you advocate for your own health and wellness. Our mission is to collaboratively navigate the thick, muddy waters of life to empower, accept, and cultivate our most authentic selves. Hi, Courageitarians. Welcome back. Today, we have a review on iTunes from Teaser Pilates labeled Educational. Teaser Pilates writes, it is nice to listen to a fresh perspective on the body. Easy to listen, and I feel as though I'm part of a community. I don't feel excluded when I listen to this podcast. I practice yoga, and I am a Pilates practitioner and licensed massage therapist. This is my morning drive inspiration to get my day started. I'm so excited that Kim decided to believe in herself and sharing her movement philosophy with the world. Thank you, Teaser Pilates. Thank you, Teaser Pilates. That's really awesome. We got a Kim fan in the house. That's fantastic. (laughs) So today's episode is Unplug the Power of Nature and Doing Things the Old-Fashioned Way. And uh, just for our listeners, maybe nobody's noticed it but me, but in typing up the show notes, we, we talk a lot about the the power of things. And I'm like, well, everything that we talk about is pretty powerful. I think I'm just going to have to get a thesaurus out and <laughs> find a different word to use, maybe. Um, but this is a really fun topic, I think, for both of us. I have to be honest, it's 90% anecdotal. And uh, my love of nature and slight obsession with trying things from scratch. I don't always end up continuing doing things from scratch, but I really like trying things from scratch. But I was inspired. And hello, Jessa. She's going to be a little bit in our episode today. I apologize to our listeners if there's some baby squeals in the background. I was inspired by a recent NPR podcast that I was listening to. Um, regarding just nature and its effect on mental health. And it really made me think about how lucky I feel to be a lover of nature as well and to have access to it. Um, So even though this is going to be 90% anecdotal, I do want to throw a few facts out there. So research from um, Art House University in Denmark found that growing up near vegetation is associated with up to 55% lower risk of mental health disorders. So that's a little fun fact as far as um, getting into nature and slowing down and doing things like forest bathing or walking in nature, being close to nature can really affect your mental health. Ah! Hello. Um, (laughs) So the, the, important part of this, um, even though I I don't have a ton of scientific evidence backing up the importance of getting out in nature, it it improves the parasympathetic or relaxation response. We know that, which reduces stress hormones and encourages healthy movement in a way that I feel like the gym just can't. So before getting into all the different ways of nature and and doing things the old-fashioned way and that kind of thing just getting out and being in nature just being around some trees walking down a trail 
taking the time to be outside and, you know, the sunshine, even, even if it's raining, um, can really benefit the physiological and psychological health of everyone. I, I think personal opinion, armchair experts. <laughs> um, so I'm going to link these uh, cozy articles and the NPR episode at the end of, or to our show notes. Um, but I wanted to just kind of like, I know that this is a passion of yours too. And so as we kind of share back and forth, um, I know I'm going to get to some of my favorites, but I know you, Kim, grew up on a farm. So what, what did you think of this topic when you saw it? And what do you, what does it make you more inclined to share? Oh, I mean, I loved my childhood farm. And I think now how I was raised, I think they, there's a term for it now called free range parenting, or you, sometimes you hear it's a free range neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think the neighborhood that I reside in now is pretty free range. It's one of the things that I love that kids can be out um, at all hours and parents and children feel safe to do that. But, you know, being out on the farm and being able to explore acres of land at will, it really helped my imagination. I explored, you know, different textures, which textures are okay to touch and which ones sting and, you know, leave a boo-boo and uh, being out in that fresh air. And it also allowed me to figure things out on my own. You know, if I climbed up on something and fell off and I learned, well, don't climb that way or pick a different thing to climb on. Or, um, you know, if I ended up with a soaker in my shoe and my shoe gets stuck in the mud, well, you learn, you know, how to cross the creek and not lose your shoes and your socks. And, you know, even in different climate changes, like, you know, if you get a a soaker in summer, it's not so bad, but you get a soaker in winter, you know, you're in trouble. Because your, right. your sock is now frozen and you're how far away <laughs> from the house. And, you know, so I think that there's a lot of learning that goes on um, to be in nature and to explore. I also think it helps me with my sense of direction. Um, same. So I, yeah. Same. I feel like I have a, a really healthy, um, <laughs> sorry about that, a really healthy sense of direction and a good internal navigation system and I feel like that kind of comes from that spending that time in nature Mm -hmm. yeah I mean uh you know as an adult I turn to nature a lot to learn about myself to reground myself to remind myself of lessons and you know the earth is always pulsing with energy and health And, you know, I posed the question to all our listeners, can you fall in love with the planet in which you live? I do. I am lucky enough to have my studio next to a river and there's a park next to the studio. And so I do meditation and mindful walks in nature um, so that I can teach people how to be in nature. I, I feel like that's being lost from, you know, hours that we're spending in our cubicles or the fear of being out for you know, something might happen to them. But when you develop an intimate connection with your natural world, I think it's both sublime and insightful because nature is embedded within the fabric of life and all of our ecosystems. So sometimes I think we're kind of busy conquering nature. If I go to some of the bigger parks around me, you know, people are just there. I got to get my miles in an X amount of time, or I'm going to climb the next highest mountain, or I'm going to beat my best trail time. And then they've got music playing in their, 
you know, with their playlist going on. But, you know, what, what has happened? I mean, are you enjoying nature or are you simply spacing out? Are you daydreaming about possibilities that the nature is inspiring you? Are you taking times to just get lost in your thoughts and feel where your thoughts are? Um, how about watching the plant life that's around you or hearing the stream and the birds that are by you? Or maybe you happen upon an animal and you get to see that animal play and move about and busy about in their natural habitat. So I think um, being outside is great, but are you truly being where your feet are at that time when you are in nature? I, I love that. I love the idea of that. Um, I think I'm, I'm guilty of both. So I do spend a lot of time in nature and quiet. Um, but I definitely, if I'm trying to fit that in, <laughs> you know what I mean? And squeeze that in that I do have the, the playlist going and the, you know, the dog on the leash and the, the baby on the front of me. And I'm just trying to get the steps in. I'm not, even though I know, you know, in the end it, it boosts my mood. It, I do both. I try to spend some time in nature and just be quiet and touch things and feel and listen. Um, but I definitely get out there just because out of a sense of duty sometimes, just because I know it'll make me feel better <laughs> in mm-hmm. the end, even if I do have the music on and the, you know, all the, all the other things going on. Now, I, you mentioned your studio and that was on my list of things to talk to you about because I do love that you, you have the river and the park right there. And I'm glad that you, you spoke on that because that's a beautiful way you can use it with your clients, uh, when the weather is appropriate to do so. We have, um, when we recently moved into the new house, it's on three acres. And I was really excited to have this property for my son for the same reasons that you were speaking about living on a farm, like for him to learn all the things that I learned as a kid growing up. And it's so funny because I I have this big desire to be more of a free range parent and let him explore and let him know. And yet there definitely is that sense of, Oh, but it's dangerous. What if he falls in the Creek? What if he, you know, (laughs) what if he climbs the tree and he falls and he's way out there and, and I'm like, you know, I wonder if our parents worried as much <laughs> or if they were just glad we were out of the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because I really want him to have that opportunity to explore. Because in reality, you know, what if he falls in the creek? Well, he's going to go wet. It's not deep enough for, you know, anything super catastrophic, a knock on wood to happen. But it's much more like a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Um and and those kind of things. And if he fell, then, you know, it would, it would be a, that learning experience. All of those things need to happen. And I think so much about doing those things when I was a kid. One of the things that I wanted to share as far as the ties into nature and doing the old things the old-fashioned way, um, from a very young age, probably like seven or eight, I was really fascinated with this idea of like being a survivalist. and being able to like do things and live off the land in some sort of way. And I don't know, I mean, I'm sure it was influenced. My mom is very much a lover of nature and she knows way more than I do about plants and, um, you know, just nature stuff in general, birds, 
different things. And so she instilled a lot of that in me early on. But I always had these, like, I'd go for walks with my friends or whatever, and I'd be like, let's pretend like we're going to live out here. You know, what would we do? How would we build shelter? What would we use? Where would we, we could, you know, where would we find water? And I don't know if any of that resonates with you, but it was something that still sticks to me now that I'm glad I learned because I, I later went on to become a Girl Scout. I went almost all the way through um, and learned so many of those things, you know, the different, many different ways to start a fire and different knots to tie and <laughs> ways to find shelter. I'm certainly not as good at the plant thing as my mom is, but um, I love the idea that if I was lost somewhere or there was some, you know, heaven forbid, a, a, an apocalyptic circumstance that I could still maybe hang in there for a while based on my skills. <laughs> yeah, I think my dad was in the military and he is really big on survival. And mm-hmm. I, I think the survival thing for him comes from the military because he grew up as a city kid and then his youngest sibling had leukemia and his dream was to live on a farm so that my dad's family then moved um, out to the farm and acquired what became known as Orr's Corners uh, in Kinsman because there was my dad's sister and my grandfather and grandmother and then, you know, my dad. And so there was this big farm and, you know, there was definitely pools and a beaver dam and tons of cricks. Uh, but I think from a young age, uh, you know, my parents made sure that we took swimming lessons and my dad kind of started that survival stuff of tracking animals, of Mm-hmm. you know, looking and reading the land. And perhaps that allowed my parents some ease when in the summer we would be, my brother and I and my cousins that um, lived there on Orr's Corners too. There's four of us kids. Uh, we'd kind of be locked out of the house. And <laughs> right? that gave our moms time for stillness, for cleaning the house, for watching their soap operas, you know, whatever they were going to do. And they took turns about putting a picnic basket out for us to have lunch. And so we'd show up to one house. If there wasn't food, we'd show up to the other house and there'd be something out there. Um, And then we'd come back at dinner. And, you know, now that we all talk as adults, there were certain some naughtiness that we got into that our parents didn't know about, but as we aged, but um, for the most part, we just played and explored and, you know, created all kinds of stuff to entertain us. It's so wonderful. And I feel like it's so important. And it's something that um, I don't want to say it's missing from childhood now. I think it just has to be a little more intentional now. Because like I said, there is a, there's a conflict, um, at least for myself as a parent between wanting safety and wanting to monitor my child and then, you know, and and the urge to be a helicopter parent, even though I'm, I'm not, I try to be mindful not to be. Um, but then also the idea of the importance of letting them go out. You know, my, my son is seven and a half now. And so he's at that perfect age where his, he's just starting to come online with being his own dude and coming up with his own ideas <laughs> and um, really exploring those things. And I've just got to be, you know, careful to let him do that. You know, yeah, yeah take, take the dog and go back there and figure it out. And if you get stung or bit or stuck or, you know, I'm here and we'll, and whatever naughtiness too that you get into, I think that when it's encouraged 
it can be, I mean, it's healthy in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny um, that you say that because I had a, um, I had my first pony, a Shetland pony at one. And then um, from there, my dad moved me into a quarter horse. And in my teens, I had a thoroughbred. But I also had this collie, Lassie. And my parents have said many times, you know, Lassie was the best babysitter because mm-hmm. at times if I got myself too high in the tree or maybe in the pasture with horses that weren't, um, you know, kind of up to some mischief, uh, the dog would bark and then someone would peek their head out and redirect me. But Right. No, yeah. it's, it's very helpful and wonderful. Um, so as I mentioned, I was a Girl Scout and my mom was a nature lover. I One of the things that I really love, and, and I'm going to throw both of these out here, um, but I really love camping and I, I love rustic camping. I love doing it all, you know, the haul in the water, the find in the wood, the, you know, just sleeping in a tent on the ground kind of thing. Um, but recently my family, uh, two years ago, we went to, um, pictured rocks up in the upper peninsula. It's a beautiful national parkland that is just gorgeous Uh, and we did what I will call glamping which is we stayed in a platform tent that was already put up it had bunk beds in it it had a refrigerator wi-fi and electricity um and man was that also an amazing vacation (laughs) (laughs) because you got the fresh air and uh as far as you know the one thing that I can say about rustic camping is uh it's a lot of work it's whether or not you enjoy the work. So I'm going to throw out the glamping out there that I have done it. It was awesome. It's really fabulous if you have children because you can spend more time with them than doing all of the many chores um, and keeping after them to help with the chores. But that said, the rustic camping that I've done, um, I really enjoyed that as well. You know, cooking over an open flame, starting, you know, starting a fire from nothing, um, you know, really just going out of our way to do it. Two of the places that my husband and I like to do the rustic camping, we've done, uh, we like Port Austin, Michigan, which is up in the tip of the thumb on Lake Huron. And then the most fun we had with uh, rustic camping, I don't know if this is near your parents or not, but we were down in uh, this place called Nelson's Ledges Quarry Mm -hmm. in Garrettsville, Ohio. Um, what it is, is it's a, it's a festival location. It's a quarry, it's a campground, but they hold, uh, music festivals there. So you get the benefit of rustic camping with the amazingness of also having live music and entertainment every night. And that yeah. was one of my favorite experiences of Nelson's Legends. <laughs> it's very familiar to me. It's where everybody would skip school and go to Nelson Ledges to hang out and be naughty. So it is close. Okay. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a naughty place when you go to a music festival as well. It's not yeah. exactly, I mean, you know, people are imbibing in, in substances for sure, but um, I was, I was lectured hippie. many times from my parents of do not skip school and go to Nelson Ledges. You, if I find out you've gone there, you're in trouble. <laughs> oh, that's very fun. I didn't know that we shared this place. I yeah. love, Loved it there. I've gone. Um, we went three years in a row for a music festival, and it was a very fun time. Yeah, and we always yeah. talked about when the kids were a little older, the experience would be different. We probably wouldn't go see the 
the type of music that we went to see just because of the atmosphere, but um, mm-hmm. that we'd love to take the kids for that experience too, just yeah. because it's just beautiful. And to have a whole community, like everybody's roughing it, so to speak. Um, the only drawback is the bathroom situation or the outhouse situation. <laughs> <laughs> but everything else is wonderful. You know, if you need some water, or if you need ice for your cooler, or if you, you know, it's just a just a very hippie sharing atmosphere. Where everybody kind of looked out for everybody. And so there's, you know hiking and uh kayaking and swimming and all that awesome stuff out there um I also really like because I wanted this ties into nature but it brings it inside I really enjoyed gardening and then making my own food with what I've grown and I've only had the opportunity to do it a couple of seasons um I mean, considering the span of time, you know, the last decade that I've been a homeowner, um, I probably really only got four seasons where I was able to do it and do it well. But, you know, growing tomatoes and making pasta sauce and canning it, um, doing preserves uh, and jellies, um, you know, and not, I, had, I didn't enjoy all of it, like the whole process, not every bit of it. But it was satisfying enough in the end to have enjoyed the process. So sometimes, like, it really is, you know, a pain in the ass to shuck a bunch of corn <laughs> or to um, de-seed tomatoes to make a pasta sauce. But in the end, when you have jars of things in your cupboard that you made from vegetables that you grew, um, Two of the three years, then I grew everything. So I did the herbs and the onions and the everything. And then that, that third year, some of our things uh, were, were stolen from gophers and rabbits. <laughs> and I really only <laughs> had the tomatoes that I had to kind of supplement. But it was a really great experience. And even though I can't always do it, um, I enjoyed doing it and I enjoy knowing how to do it. And it's something that, again, I hope to share with the kids because it was something that was passed down to me. Like I grew up, uh, when I'd go down South for the summer, my grandparents lived in rural Alabama and, um, they had 40 acres down there that when I was, until I was probably 12 that they farmed and then they retired and, and, um, sold the trees instead for, to, um, for lumber. But when they were farming, then it was, you know, we'd go down for the summer on vacation. <laughs> um, but really, we were just extra labor <laughs> to pick the okra and the corn. And um, I remember specifically the moms and grandmothers sending us to pick the okra. I don't know if you have any experience with okra, but it's stingy. Like it's got little nettles on it and it'll sting mm-hmm. you. And I think that that's why the children were asked to do it. <laughs> <So> <laughs> So that the um, the aunts and grandmas didn't have to. Um, but then when, when we'd go through, we'd come home, we'd spend a, a day or two cleaning everything. And then I remember my grandmother would cover the, the, the sink fat in a window with cupboards on both sides. And she would tape up newspaper 
over the window and over the cupboards and all the way down so that she had made this little kind of tent over the sink with newspaper. Mm-hmm. And she would just shuck the, or uh, not shuck, but um, cut the corn off the cob into the sink and fill the sink, both sides, with corn to get it ready to can to make creamed corn. And there would be corn everywhere <laughs> because she would just be like hacking away at it. And it was just amazing to watch her. And then the um, then she'd take the newspaper down and obviously it was so that there wasn't corn on the cupboards and all over everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was just awesome to watch her do that and then to in turn grow up and kind of do, I never did it to that extent. She would do an amazing amount um, just on her own. And then her and my great aunts would get together and do um, things for the families. So, you know, her jars of corn, creamed corn that she made, then, you know, half of them would get shared with whoever did the the pear preserves or the apricots and that kind of thing. And everybody kind of just switched it around. Have you ever made any of your own things from stuff that you've grown? I think those are awesome memories, Tanya, that you just shared. You know, I grew up with uh, families that had huge gardens. I mean, huge. Mm -hmm. And I always enjoyed walking and chatting with my grandparents in the garden and my parents. And we did growing up between my grandparents and my parents, uh, we canned pretty much everything. So between the farm uh, meat and then the canning, you know, my parents didn't have to go out and buy much food through the months that they weren't gardening because we had canned everything. I, at the time as a child, I did not enjoy the canning process, nor did I enjoy being sent down to an 1800s house basement to go all the way to the back to get the canned <laughs> items. It was very scary. Right. Uh, so then as an adult, I wasn't so keen on it. Um, I did make frozen jams. My brother has picked up the canning bug. He cans and cures meats. And, you know, he, de- he, he creates food just like my parents created food. Um, and it is something that I wished I would have picked up a little bit more of as an adult for me, mm-hmm. but I'm the most that I go to is uh, frozen jam and freezing fruit for my smoothies. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> when things enough. are in season to save uh, to save money. But sure. I do I garden, but I only plant enough that I use at the time. Mm-hmm. No, that's still great. I just experimented, um, and you know last year I was pregnant with Jessa and I didn't do nearly as much as I wanted to just because I was hot and large and miserable. Um, and the year before that we had just moved into our new place. So there was no planting or gardening. We had to see like what was actually coming up here before we knew where we were going to plant or garden things. But, um, the year prior to that, I had really played around a little bit with pickling have you ever pickled anything? Uh, no, no, but my brother okay. has. I okay. like his, his, he has these dilly green beans mm. uh, that are just fabulous. And I like it with a little bit of blue cheese. Oh, it's awesome. I can see that being amazing. I did, um, there's a restaurant that I go to that pickles their onions. <laughs> so I was like a little obsessed with pickled onions for a minute and was trying different ways to pickle onions and then um, regular pickles. And then it is my hope this year um, to maybe at least do a little bit of pickled cucumbers to see if I can 
start a little something. I think we know where we're going to put everything this year and what our plan is. We're to start really small, but I do plan on doing a little gardening this year, a few cucumbers, a few zucchinis, a few tomatoes. Yeah, just a, a basic kind of thing. That said, it's not like my favorite thing. It's a lot of work. <laughs> so I like, I like the end result. Um, but it's not always my favorite, yeah. favorite thing to do. <laughs> I have a raised planter garden and I dearly love it. There's about 24 beds and Nick has strung some lights up. So even when I get back late, I can, from work, I can put the, plug the lights in and put some bug spray on and head out. But what I really like about it is being in there, you know, usually I have like some kombucha with me and um, I'm, you know, working on the plants and seeing it grow. Matter of fact, Nick says you like to prep it and then you like to harvest it. He goes, the in-between you don't like so much. Right. Um, yeah. But, but I like, I like the neighbors that stop by too. And I like seeing, you know, moms who are in the stroller moms, they talk about, you know, what's in the garden and what's there. And we say, you know, anything that grows over the fence, just help yourself too. And so I purposely plant, you know, cherry tomatoes towards the front. So my neighbors can munch as they go by. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's just nice. Like big tea. It's a lot of times when I'm in there working, his nose is right down where my hand is, you know, trying to figure out what I'm doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I, I love that. I, I love almost all of those like nature things, like the getting outdoors, the, the digging in the dirt. But yeah, like you said, like the, I could do without the weeding in between. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the watering. Yeah, and, you know. and the watering and the watching and the, you know, trying to keep the critters away and all the in-between things that yeah. you have to do. Um, but I really think that, I, I'm really grateful. Like I didn't realize it when I was younger, how much of an influence my mom was on me for that. And even my grandma, like I told you that story about my grandma down South and the farm down there. Like I, it didn't really dawn on me until now how much that was a kind of a treasured memory from, mm-hmm. you know, probably three summers in a row when my brother yeah. and I were shipped down to be labor <laughs> <laughs> vacation. Yeah, yeah. Um, I used to snap green beans till I had blisters, and I I think that's maybe been a little bit that kind of stuff. There's you know, and topping <laughs> tomatoes for tomato juice and stuff. It was just a little little much for me as an adult to get into it. But yeah. you know, like my brother, it becomes you know, his friends come over. Um, you know, he and his significant other, you know, can together. So it kind of reminds me when you were talking about your family's canning stories and I was talking about or thinking about my family's, it reminds me, of, you know, kind of like the African-American culture when you're getting your hair braided. It was a time of wisdom to be passed down amongst the, the ladies and the family. And I think that's very similar to what canning was for us and our families, mm-hmm. you know, to get together and have that sense of connection and to earth and to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think when you're little, you just kind of absorb it because you're not really part of the conversation. You're not really, you know what I mean? You're just Mm -hmm. kind of there absorbing all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, since we moved into the house, one of the things that I did get into um, as far as doing things the old fashioned way, and I'm going to use air quotes with old fashioned way because this made it easier. And so it's not 
technically the old fashioned way and that's making my own bread. So, um, last Christmas I got a stand mixer (laughs) for Mm -hmm. Christmas, which, which makes some of the doing it the old fashioned way. Not really, because I'm not hand kneading the dough, um, or at least not the first time around, but man, has that been amazing in, um, learning how to make like bread let's face it I love bread anyway but (laughs) but how to learn how to make my own breads and doughs and pizza crusts and I have to say that since I got that mixer um we used to do I mean we still do pizza night once a week but we used to order pizza and now maybe once a month it's almost always homemade pizza and it's so great to be able to do that and I love the idea of um you know, that I, that I made this, you know, and to make the dough and to watch it rise and then to proof it and rise again. And it's just, it's, um, it's such a satisfying process as far as making things. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm a baker. I love that. Uh, The other thing my family used to always do is every uh, Sunday we would get together with my, um, my immediate family and sometimes my dad's siblings and we would go sailboating and I always oh. enjoyed that. And mom would have, you know, if it was just my immediate family, we would pack a picnic basket in the um, boat and we'd head out into an Island and we'd stop and have uh, lunch at a beach and then we'd head back. And so I think that's where my love of water came in. And my mom's side uh, was big on going cause I lived really close to the Allegheny mountains. And so we'd go as a family to the Allegheny mountains and go hiking and, and stuff, but the body and it's, is, um, and it's sensory nature. They're always present and nature consistently allures our awareness to its beauty, its complexity. I think nature is very diverse and that's just simple miracles. So nature provides numerous counterpoints to stress. For example, if you have uh, persuasiveness towards anxiety and stress, Perhaps you look at the trees and the streams and wildflower measures and attune to the gentle deer that you might happen upon and start to embody their grace and dignity as they move and allow your nervous system to kind of follow the fluid energy that you see in nature. Mm, I love that. I love how just healing. And you know, all of... One of the things that I think that we escape from a little bit when we're, I don't want to say just in a city, but just in general, in indoors and that kind of thing is, is the appreciation for life and death, you know, and the cycle of life. And I just like, right now it's springtime in Michigan, um, the flowers are coming up. I'm getting ready to, to clean out my beds of last year's overgrowth and kind of get things going. And it's just this idea of birth and new. But, you know, we separate ourselves from all of those things, not just human-wise, but, you know, we don't spend as much time, I don't think, appreciating birth and death in nature either you know, and how everything kind of comes and goes for a reason. And that's uh, a beauty that's there in nature and is ever present that I don't think that we um, take the time to appreciate maybe as much as when we had to, 
work the earth when we had to, you know, hunt and gather and that kind of thing a little bit more. Um, I just think that, that that fed our soul a little bit more. And now we have to be a little more conscious of working to do that and to do those things. Um, do you have any bucket list things as far as things that you want to do with when it comes to nature and kind of learning to do something the old-fashioned way? Well, I've watched this thing on YouTube uh, called the Pasta Grammys. So they're, <laughs> they're grandmothers and someone didn't want to lose the art of making pasta. And um, so they have traveled around to different parts of the country getting different grandmas to teach their families pasta. And so I would like to, uh, you know, try to make the pasta. As you know, I, I'm needing to be gluten-free. And so I'm like, I wonder if I could still figure out how they did it, but, you know, change the flour a little bit. And to try, I'd love to travel to different countries and take a cooking lesson to learn that culture's, you know, signature dish. And of course, as you know, I really, 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 really want to hike um, the El Camino de Santiago, the Northern Way. Oh yeah, that is on your bucket list. I've heard you mm-hmm. speak of that many times. <laughs> um, What's on your bucket list? So pasta making is also on my bucket list. That's one of the things that I really want to learn to do. I was not aware of pasta Grammys. And when you said that, I thought of like Grammys, like awards. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, like I was like, oh, the pasta Grammys, like they find the best <laughs> pasta and give it an award. And then you're like grandmothers. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so cute. Um, so I also, uh, that Netflix series, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. I don't know if you've watched that. It's a very soothing and wonderful watch. Um, but she makes her own pasta in there. And I was like, you know, I really, it, it's pretty straightforward. It looks pretty, mm-hmm. not easy, but um, simplistic would yeah. be, you know, it still looks uh, complicated as far as getting it right, but simplistic in the ingredients and, and things. Um, I do have an urge to raise my own chickens someday. It's not something that I can do immediately with the having the new babies and meaning the fur baby and the new baby. <laughs> um, it's not something that I think that I can take on right now, but it was something that when we bought this property um, that I had in mind as far as raising chickens, I would like to do that. Um, And then finally, my friend Emily is an amazing woman just in general with all the things that she does, but she backpacks and does overnight backpacking trips where everything she needs is in her pack and she takes it and sleeps in a hammock that she strings up between two trees and really roughs it and um, not only gets the benefit of all of the survival skills that we kind of talked about earlier, but also all the benefits of the exercise and the hiking and being one with nature. And um, she started the adventure two years ago and um I wasn't able to do it right away then. And then I was pregnant with Jessa, so it probably wasn't completely safe for me to try to do some, <laughs> some backpack. I mean, I'm sure I could have done it, but um, not ideal. <laughs> but it is on my list of something that I want to do. I would really love to go on a backpacking trip and kind of rough it and do that and be one with nature and carry everything that I need in my pack. I love that. A, yeah. A one man wolf pack. <laughs> Makes me admire uh, Emily even more. I love that. Wow. 
Well, nature always invites our attention and offers so much to our depleted hearts and minds. And my question to our Courageitarians is, will you accept the invitation? And what is at stake if you deny nature? Is it something more than just our personal well-being? Or could our collective health hang in the balance of our survival as an entire species? Oh, I love that. That's a great question to post to our listeners. There's tremendous value in spending time in nature and learning skills surrounding basic survival, nourishing your soul and your body with the food that you've cultivated, um, and raising happy animals and children. So I think that by being in nature, we, we make the world more beautiful um, and appreciating all nature has to offer. Yeah. I'm definitely a freshwater girl, so I'm definitely a Great Lakes girl, especially since I've lived around mm-hmm. it my whole life. For sure. Um, I like beach. I like feeling uh, the wind in my hair through my bikes. Um, I'm definitely an animal, animal lover. And I think nature teaches us to mind our perspective that we too easily override. So when the leaves fall, it reminds me to let go and to release Um, While I'm walking in the winter and everything's kind of barren, it reminds us about the natural rhythms, the dormancy to kind of rest and rejuvenate. And spring reminds me to flourish with joy. So nature teaches me to ebb and flow. Same, same. There's really so much to learn there if we're just quiet and listen. Oh, well, thanks for listening to our our awesome little rants today, Courageitarians. We kind of took this one by the seat of our pants and just really thought about all the great ways in which we appreciate nature and doing things the old-fashioned way. If you have a story you'd like to share or anything that you think that would in, improve or encourage uh, conversations like these, please hit us up on social media, all things Where the Lotus Grows, or email us at info at wherethelotusgrows.com. We're really happy to have you as listeners. Until next time, bye. Thank you for listening to Where the Lotus Grows. Join us in further conversations. We believe that you bring valuable knowledge to this community. You can find us at wherethelotusgrows.com, Where the Lotus Grows on Instagram and Facebook, or Twitter, Where the Lotus G1, because we were not on top of that one. Remember that though we are professionals in our field, the topics discussed and or advice given is general information and not intended to treat or diagnose. Please seek the guidance of a medical, integrative health, bodywork, or yoga therapy professional for a full evaluation. If you like what you hear, please take the time to rate us on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform.